Now, PW Torch and Spreaker bring you the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show. It's time to talk this week's AEW Dynamite. Well, Tony, I thought a uh, iconic finish to Sting's career hyping matches. He's done hyping his own matches if he lives up to his uh, you know retirement and at at his age, I, I think it probably is his last match coming up Sunday, unlike a lot of wrestle retirements where they wrestle many more times. And uh, yeah, this felt like a uh, suitable uh, repel from the rafters, baseball bat, crow sting, uh, late 90s uh, uh, imagery to uh, build up to their match. And they paid off the Ric Flair swerve. Now, rather than us sitting around for the whole match on Sunday waiting for uh, waiting for something with Flair, um, you know, the likely swerve. Although, who knows? He still might turn on Sting. Uh, Tony, what did you think of the uh, show-closing segment? Yeah, the the final segment of the show, I, I enjoyed it mostly. I agree with you. Uh, I think most people would agree. I know I even said on uh, social media last week, I don't really need to see Ric Flair on my television anymore in 2024, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with you. I hope that was the one and only swerve we get. Another swerve would feel very Vince Russo-ish. I hope we don't get something like that on Sunday. Um, part of me was wondering, you know, Sting was advertised for the final segment, and it was almost like, well, where is he? It took him so <laughs> long to get out there. Anyway, I mean, it was very 80s-ish in a way that, like, you know, the, the baby face makes the big save. But you know what? It's, it's Sting. It worked for what they were trying to accomplish in the final segment. So uh, no real complaints other than, like I said, I, I agree with you. I just hope that the Ric Flair swerve ends tonight and we don't get anything uh, too out of the blue on Sunday. And, and you know, it, we don't get that Vince Russo type booking where we're going to get, oh, it's a double swerve. And, you know, and he was in cahoots with the Bucks all along. That's So that's my only hope. I, I would say based on the what appeared to be the beating Ric Flair took. I mean, they'd have to claim they were pulling punches mm-hmm. and Flair was wearing right. a cup, a protective cup. And I mean, like, you know, Flair's 75 and he's not going to take a, a, a serious beating. And so by the nature of that limitation, I guess they could, this could be a swerve and the Bucks can say, we did our best to make it look good, but we didn't really hit you that hard and mm-hmm. you did a good job making it seem like we did and Flair turns on, I mean, because of all the turns on Flair and the fact that they paid it off now rather than on the pay-per-view does leave that window open. Um, so if Flair is at ringside or shows up at ringside on Sunday, I mean, yeah, our, our antennas will be up. And I'm not as down on it as you are um, if they do, you know, kind of a double swerve. I mean, it, in a sense, I mean, there's just such a history between Flair and Sting. And, and setting aside, and, and it's just the caveat, if you set aside, why is Ric Flair, you know, should Ric Flair really be being featured at this point um, with with his conduct and his history uh, from a pure character, love the art, not the artist storyline, um, you know, having Sting and Flair involved in one more swerve or turn, um, you know, is a would be apropos, I guess, for for everything that they've been through. And you know, this this could be the Bucks and Flair lulling Sting into a false sense of security that Sting overcomes one last time. My, I mean, why pay it off early unless they're planning that? Unless they just want Sting and Darby and the Bucks to be the center of attention. 
on Sunday and not have everybody just sitting around waiting for Flair to be involved in the finish, which would have been the case. So, you know, I, I can see them deciding to do it to, uh, to do it that way. Um, yeah. How, how about uh, just the way the Bucks acted throughout this show? I wrote my report at pwtorch.com that I thought this the, the first segment with the Bucks on this episode might have been their best in terms of finding their groove with this new act, their new characters. Um, it wasn't like a big segment, but it, it felt like they're kind of getting into it and feeling it. And uh, and then I, I did kind of like them going to locker room door, acknowledging the camera, saying, follow us. And then Sting just having a bunch of bats hanging with some special lighting, playing mind games with them. I mean, I think for a final angle, um, especially with, you know, Sting not being a, a top-level talker, but being a top-level star in terms of his charisma and his aura, they they picked some good things to do to get people excited about their match on Sunday. Yeah, uh, I would tend to agree with you. I, I have liked the evolution of what the Young Bucks have done the past month or so on uh, AEW television. It, it's starting to work for them, and if, it, if it's going to peak and kind of come into its own at the right at the at the at the right time, and and that time is right now. So uh, I do agree with you. I, I did enjoy what what they're doing. I thought tonight has been the best of those uh, segments backstage so far with them finally uh, flexing that EVP power, which we still don't know the, to the extent what it is yet. I think we'll get there. I'm hoping we'll get there. Um, if I'm going to nitpick, and it's purely a nitpick, yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say is the only thing that I thought was funny to me tonight is if the Bucks were looking for Sting, they should have gone to his locker room first. And maybe the segments were a little bit out of order. But like I said, it's purely a nitpick. And other than that, I, I tend to agree with you that the, the, they seem to be hitting their stride. And I'm very interested to see if they can keep this going uh, moving forward. And, and it, it's it's an act that, like I said, it's not something they've done before. It breaks away from the traditional Young Bucks uh, characters, so I'm looking forward to to seeing uh, how it goes on after Evolu- uh, Revolution this Sunday. My pushback to your nitpick, or my counterpoint, not a pushback, mm-hmm. would be yeah. they arrive late. We saw them arrive, and they might not have known where Sting's locker room was. And I could imagine, given their demeanor and their attitude, that nobody would be willing to really point them in the right direction. You know, here they are accusing people of not showing up early enough, and then they're just late arriving. Um, acting like punks, calling out Eddie Kingston for not following the dress code and being presentable. Um, who's going to even tell them where Sting's locker room is? So um, I, I, I can look, I can look past that a little bit. I did like um, the, the the dress code stuff. I mean, so much of the Buck stuff is sort of meta, where it's like, oh, that's a John mm-hmm. Laurinaitis joke, and oh, everything is playing to to this clubhouse, you know, clubhouse humor, clubhouse references, and all that. That said, a dress code works even if that isn't. A reference to John Laurinaitis, you know, and right. I mean, early on with the Bucks, you know, they 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 made fun of wrestlers standing sideways looking at monitors. Like, they do all this stuff to kind of mock WWE's production, and the, you know, the they were going to do you know the, the Vince mustaches and stuff. So they're always doing that stuff, and to mm-hmm. me, it's sort of I roll my eye a little bit at most of it. Not it's not like a hard eye roll. It's just like, all right, come on, you you got a big stage now. Don't don't do YouTube humor, clubhouse humor. Just you're, you're larger than that. Create your own world and play within it. But telling Eddie Kingston to be more presentable and maybe we need a dress code works even if you have no idea about the controversy Taz had to live through, you know, 20 years ago um, with, with Laurinaitis. And so, I, yeah, I just, I thought they were good and I thought picking on Eddie Kingston's a good way to get heel heat too since fans, you know, love Eddie. 
Yeah, the funnier, the even funnier part about that is Eddie just had a match. What was he supposed to be wearing? I mean, so, so that, <laughs> yes. made, that 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 got that did that did uh, kind of crack me up a little bit. And I agree with you. And some of the stuff you could consider maybe a little bit too cute, but there, is, you know, there's a part of me that does enjoy that. And I, I agree with you as long as they don't go too deep into that young bucks uh, being the elite metaverse. I, I agree with you as long as they pick their spots. Uh, there's definitely a spot for it. And tonight it was like I said. Uh, other than my nitpick, which I, I could have swore they said that with the, they arrived earlier in the day. Maybe I misheard oh. too. Like I said, it, it, I might have heard that wrong. But regardless, like I said, I'm also nitpicking, and I did by and large enjoy uh, their act tonight for sure. You know, I they they cut to the young bucks arriving at the arena, the parking lot, and then they exited their SUV and entered the arena. And Re- Renee Paquette was standing there interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And and I assumed, and, and maybe I missed a comment, just for the sake of trying to be factually accurate, I'll admit, I don't know if they were late arriving, but I assumed that she was backstage and the show was going on and that they arrived late. Um, so we'll have mm-hmm. to check the tape on that. Um, but either way, um, you know, it, like you said, not, not, a, not a huge deal. Um, nah. But if they, if they were arriving mid-show, that would certainly explain why they couldn't find his locker room in time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let, let's pause and uh, introduce ourselves, introduce the show, and then we'll move on to calls and emails and more topics, including the hangman swerve. We had a couple swerves on this show um, payoff uh, where seeds were planted last week. This is the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show for Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. I'm Wade Keller, host of the show. I'm the editor, publisher, and founder of the Pro Wrestling Torch Weekly Newsletter. The uh, latest issue just went up for PW Torch VIP members in digital format, both alt text and PDF format. Issue number 1,864. You can do the math. It's a weekly newsletter. I've been covering wrestling a long time, putting up a lot of newsletters with uh, cover stories and paper reports and editorials and a uh, variety of writers and uh, and news and scoops and all kinds of fun stuff. You can dive into those 1,864 back issues as a PW Torch VIP member, dive into our contemporaneous coverage of your favorite eras of pro wrestling starting in the late 1980s, marching through all the decades since, predating Chris Jericho's time in Mexico, early in his career, that's how far back I go. I covered Jericho when he arrived as a rookie. We're about the same age, but um, I was doing doing this a little longer than Jericho. Mm-hmm. All these little markers uh, uh, stand out to me these days when I see uh, when I see these these retiring wrestlers talk about their rookie year, and it's like years after I started doing the torch. Um, so mm-hmm. another one of those moments tonight. Um, anyway, um, so besides that, I uh, also oversee and and, and, and write for uh, the. Our main website, pwtorch.com. Hope you're checking that out. we got uh, live TV and PLE and pay-per-view coverage, including this Sunday. I'll have my report up as AEW Revolution takes place. And also uh, news updates, TV ratings, special editorials, a great team of writers contributing. It's been a staple of the torch since I started, bringing in different voices with diverse perspectives. And uh, that continues as, as part of our brand to this day, being very editorial-based and uh, bringing on a variety of people with different different approaches to uh, evaluating and, and writing about something that is a passion of theirs. And the other voice you hear on the show is one of those people, uh, Tony D'Onofrio. Did I pick one of the two good options there? You nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. All right. I, I, was pra- <laughs> I was practicing during commercials. Um, I, 
like a couple times. I was like, okay, don't say it the third way that I got wrong. Um, I didn't suck myself out of getting it right. Uh, Tony, welcome to the show. Uh, good to have you here um, on a post dynamite post show or on a dynamite post show. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. It's the first time I've gotten to join you on the post show as a co-host. I know I did the the one call in from Cleveland. I think the one night uh, we've done some uh, SmackDown and I think a Raw post show. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, good forward to talking some AEW for a change. So uh, tell people about your contributions to wrestling websites. Sure. Yeah, uh, I've been working uh, as a contributor with the Torch since about around 2008 on and off. Um, you know, did some Ring of Honor hits and misses back in the day. Um, a few uh, editorial columns through the years. Um, in about the last six months or so, I've also joined in the have been helping out Jason Powell over at ProWrestling.net, which does remind me, life gets in the way. I kind of have a column due for him <laughs> that I want to get over to him before I go on vacation next week. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, last 15 years or so, i um, been very fortunate to help uh, you guys out over at The Torch, and it's been a blast. Very good. Yeah, well, check out check out his writing at ProWrestling.net and PWTorch.com. Um, we uh, also, by the way, speaking of ProWrestling.net, invite you to check out... Um, this is the Wade Keller post show. We cover Raw, Dynamite, SmackDown, and, and sometimes Collision with live post shows um, here on our Red Logo show. You can search Wade Keller on your podcast app and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere that there are podcasts. You'll also see a blue logo pop up. Looks the same, except it says Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. And that includes yesterday's flagship edition, the Tuesday flagship with Jason Powell, the head honcho over at ProWrestling.net. We talked a lot of AEW, uh, uh, previewed Revolution, speculated on what was going on with Hangman Page and what might happen tonight, and also talked a lot about The Rock and Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre and more. We also had a half-hour VIP-exclusive after show where we covered a handful of, of other topics and answered some mailbag questions. That is free and available right now, the main part of the show. Uh, just again, search PW Torch, subscribe, and uh, download the show. It's like I think over two hours was the free part. And like I said, we had still had some stuff to cover, so we did another half hour afterwards. That was just for our VIP members, and you can get information on VIP membership at pwtorch.com/govip. That's pwtorch.com/govip. Lots of ways to sign up through Patreon directly with your iPhone using your Apple account. Or through our main setup, including access to our full library with credit card, debit card, or PayPal. Again, we'll walk you through it and give you more details on all the benefits. An ad-free website, a whole array of podcasts throughout the week. Not only new content just for VIP members like The Fix with Todd Martin, Everything with Rich and Wade, which uh, Rich and I recorded earlier today, covering a variety of topics. The Wade Keller Hotlines and, and post-pay-per-view and PLE roundtables and more. But also we put up uh, our 18 years ago, 18th on the pretty much the 18th anniversary of uh, of the of the original publication, our earliest podcasts. We've been podcasting over 20 years, and we started um, a couple years ago putting them up uh, almost daily. So you can march through some of the original post-pay-per-view roundtables and Wade Keller Hotlines with backstage news, just juicy details on the rise of John Cena and dress codes and stuff like that uh, back in the day when TNA was the the rising alternative to WWE like uh, AEW has been the last few years. And uh, that also includes early Bruce Mitchell audio shows with a good, a good look at history and uh, hard-hitting commentary uh, and, uh, and mailbag segments, the, the real deal with Pat McNeil and more. Um, so go VIP. It's a real, real mix of, uh, of content, new and nostalgia, along with access to our 
website. And you get our new shows like this, the free ones, Weight Color Podcasts and the Daily Casts. You get versions of them with the ads and plugs removed, all compatible with Apple Podcasts and many other popular uh, podcast apps. No need to enter username or password or go to advanced settings. We've got a really slick setup. You're just a single click away from being able to listen to our shows ad-free, all the VIP shows and the free ones on uh, Apple CarPlay or on your iPhone or uh, like me, an Android device too. All right. So with all that said, let's give out the phone number and uh, invite you if you're live streaming the show to join the conversation. We'd love to hear from our regulars. We'd love to hear from first-time callers also. The number is 347-215-8558. That's 347-215-8558. When you call, push one on your keypad. That flags you on our switchboard so that we know that you want to be brought onto the show. 347-215-8558. You can also email us anytime, but especially during the TV shows we cover or during the post shows with your comments and questions. Wade Keller Podcast at gmail.com. Wade Keller Podcast at gmail.com. If you're live streaming the show and don't want to talk to us, you can email us and still be part of the show. All right, with all that business taken care of, let's move on to other topics and we'll start by letting Larry from Beardstown, Illinois lead the way. Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Uh, what's in your mind about tonight's Dynamite? Well, uh, first off, I wanted to start by maybe asking a, a question. Uh, do you think anyone noticed or um, remembers history enough when uh, the Young Bucks went into Sting's uh, dressing room and all the bats were hanging? Yeah. And it dawned on me about two seconds after, uh, uh, you know, watching it, uh, if you're a longtime fan, the last Sting promo on the last Monday Night Show, he's in a room with bats hanging. Ah. Mm. I, I, I kind of figured there was some symbolism or or a callback, and, and I didn't have that specific memory. So good good call, Larry. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things I, I thought I remembered, uh, because I remember it's a long time. Man, uh, watching the last uh, Nitro show on uh, on you know the the Turner Networks, and as soon as I saw that, like, it, like two seconds later, I was like, I see what they did there. That's that's kind of a nice throwback. Uh, makes us old wrestling fans feel a little bit appreciated. <laughs> and um, if I could, I wanted to um, ask you guys uh, while watching the Chris Jericho Atlantis Junior match. When they went for the Who and Conrana outside the ring, did Atlantis just drop Chris, or did Chris just fall on his head? That looked kind of scary to me myself, but I just wanted to ask you guys and see what you thought. It, it, I think he just tucked, and I think he kind of tucked and had to turn his head to the side because you know somersaults are a little harder <laughs> at his age and at this point with all the mileage. But um, I, I, he looked fine afterwards. Uh, Tony, did you pick up on anything? Um, I think you're right. I think he got his head tucked also, but that, it made me, that was my one jump scare for the night, which if, if they're looking for a new sponsorship, they, they could probably do a weekly jump scare for AEW and get it sponsored. But yeah, that was my one jump scare for the night as well, but it did look like he did get his head tucked at the last minute there. Yeah, I, I like the, the, the thought, of, you know, I, I'd like to see AEW like looking for new sponsors, but not necessarily like <laughs> yeah. medical supply outlets, you know, <laughs> neck braces and right. and slings and things like that. Um, but um, I I think overall the show was 
was good. The the Jericho at last match kind of dragged a little bit for me, but I was mm-hmm. I was pretty well entertained by a by a, everything else on it, and I I I like what I think they're going to be doing with Hangman Page. I think it's time to to kind of see what he can do as a bad guy. Yeah, uh, uh, Tony, uh, this uh, there. I want to delve into obviously the opening segment uh, in the hype for the world title match, the, the approach they took by with a fake injury um, and and all that. Uh, Hangman last week was teaming with with uh, RVD and Hook. He was officially a babyface, and I, I guess my my only critique, and it, it's kind of small because the announcers did you know act outrage. Oh, he was lying. It was a, it was a con. Is it's almost like in their mind they were at, they they just figured Hangman was a heel for like a month now, um, because yes, he was kind of being a jerk um, for a while and had you know an edge to him that he hadn't had before. But to me, I guess I wanted the announcers to just sell the idea that wait, 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 this is the Hangman we knew, and have you know, and then have another announcer go, well, there's been signs of him having a different attitude in recent weeks, but we we didn't want to believe that he could be capable of this, and I felt that aspect was missing from the angle and the commentary. It was sort of like ah, Hangman's a heel who lied to us. Uh, we should have seen the lie coming, or how how dare he? But it wasn't just the trick of faking an injury; it was also. This isn't the hangman that we've seen for years. This is a very different, you know, this is a very heelish move on his part. And so I, I felt like they, they missed that aspect of telling the story. Um, uh, Tony, what stood out to you? What do you think of that and uh, that, that, that critique? And, and in general, what do you think about the, the week-long story they told with the, uh, the, the, the uh, swerve with the ankle? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because last week felt like a – it almost felt like we <laughs> – there was a deviation from Hangman's story. Last week he was very much a babyface. He played it to the crowd. I can't remember where I heard it. It was a good theory that, you know, because they were in Oklahoma last week, that's cowboy country, that it, he wasn't going to, you know, get heat as a heel there. Maybe that's why that was done. But yeah, but for the better part of the last month, Hangman has shown heel tendencies. And I, in my opinion, especially uh, the, last ma- the last match that he had with Swerve, that was the the heel turn with the exception of last week. So um, I'm glad they kind of went back to that this week. I think it's time to see what hangman can do as a heel. I think some of the early stuff we saw with him two, three, four weeks ago uh, was promising. And, and like I said, it's, it's time to see what he could do as a heel, what he could do as a heel. My only worry is that I think he somehow ends up, circling back around and back with the young bucks. Cause now that all three of them are heels, mm-hmm. the, the temptation will be to throw them back together as a group. But um, I don't mind if they're loosely uh, aligned, uh, you know, back as the elite. as long as, you know, hangman is basically on his own as a solo. I don't want to see him in trios matches all the time, but I really do want to see what hangman can do as a heel. And I think he could do good work. If the, if the first few weeks of that turn with the exception of, like I said, last week's, kind of off course now they're back on course with that um i'm kind of i'm very excited to see where they could go with that and and hangman showed that you know he could pull that off early on a couple weeks ago and i just want to see where it goes from here uh larry i'll, I'll throw back to you for any follow-up anything that uh, tony or i had to say um i i i like <clears throat> excuse me I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what they can do with uh Hangman, uh, you know, just go ahead and completely 
um, turning him. And one more thing I might like to add on the show is I, I think, me personally, they could have held off what they did with Flair until Revolution. But uh, other than that, I thought that part of it was uh, pretty sound. Would you guys have, I mean, if you two were in charge, would you have went ahead and done what they did with him tonight, or would you have held that off until Revolution? I think you have to let people know what's, what's going on on a pay-per-view before they order it. And this was the right time to do it. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, like I said, I hope this is, I hope they're not going to get too cute. Uh, I don't think they will. I think this was the right moment to do it because uh, seemingly that's going to be your main event on Sunday. I, you know, that's one of the few times I think we'll get a non-singles world title match in the main event of a AEW pay-per-view. And, and you don't want to go over the top cute with it. I think you want, uh, you know, both sides set in stone. And so uh, I agree. I, if they get too cute with the main band uh, and Sting's last match, I think it would be kind of uh, seen as an overbooked mess. And I don't want to see that. I think the way things, the battle lines are drawn now, I hope it stays that way. And looking forward to seeing that match on Sunday. Uh, Larry, anything else you want to bring up from that segment or anything else? Uh, no, just uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm looking forward to listening to the uh, rest of the show. Always tuck your head, Tim, when you're kind <laughs> yes. of losing your balance on that Juan Conrana. Oh. And uh, so long from the land of Lincoln. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it. Um, Tony, what did you think of us? Uh, Swer- you know, we talked about uh, Hangman for the most part, but what have you thought of Swerve's journey as a character? And what did you think of tonight's chapter in that evolution, including notably bringing up the, his history of maybe crossing a line sometimes and kind of laughing at that and the fans laughing with him? Um, you know, since World's End, I feel like he's lost a little bit of steam. I still think he's over with the crowd. Um, I don't know that this world title feud being a triple threat has done him a lot, even though there is the natural uh, rivalry that he now has with Hangman Page. I did like that he leaned into that tonight because that was his way of saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, I've done some some unsavory things, but, you know, you you guys, everyone seems to be coming around on me and, come around, you know, coming around. And, and uh, he's kind of leaning into that babyface thing. And I hope that means we're not going to lose that edge uh, that he does have you know, uh, with this baby face turn. And I think I, I think I was on record late last year, and I think a lot of people were, that this could be the year of Swerve in AEW. Um, whether that means he gets the title this Sunday or they can hold off until double or nothing, that's yet to be seen. But but uh, like I said, I don't feel like he's as quite as over as he was just two, three months ago, but I'm still optimistic about where he's headed right now. Yeah, I think he's still a work in progress as as a babyface character, but I think that's mm-hmm. to be understood, and it's not going to just instantly be um, polished, I guess, as he's trying to figure out how to keep that edge that made him popular, but also not be a guy invading people's homes and beating up eighteen year olds on their in their in their mm-hmm. gyms. Um, so yeah, there's there's a challenge there, and it is part of why I'm not just convinced he's the guy that they should go with. Um, you can't fight the headwind of fans cheering him, but you don't want to ruin it by having him lose aspects of his act that they liked. You also can't have Prince Nana being a heel manager, a manager of some heel wrestlers acting like a heel, and then uh, being the, right. the the adorable cheerleader sidekick uh, doing the silly silly dance. Also, the AW's got to kind of figure that out sooner than later also. 
Um, but I think he's come a, a good ways already on the microphone and in terms of his presence. I do. And I, I think part of what's going to make him work as a main eventer is believing that he's a main eventer. Um, and and I think part of him does. And I think fans like are into that. But you don't want to second-guess yourself when you're out there. Like, as he gets more of a push and more and featured more in that top, top spot, people are going to judge him differently. He's not – you know, it's like being the, the backup quarterback on a football team. Everything's here the best of you, you know, came in for a few plays and looked good. And it's not until you play three games that people really – know if you're good and if you're not they start turning on you and there's that possibility that that happens um so anyway that's my thoughts on Swerve I thought Joe was the star on the microphone I mean Swerve was good I don't have a problem with what he did uh inflection wise and how he carried himself um I think he's coming along um although I will say before I shift to Joe I would have left out the part about how he was once a cruiserweight this absolutely would have scratched that from the talking points he, mm -hmm. he should that that is so stigmatized as a prelim division. I don't think anybody's thinking about him as being smaller than Hangman Page or Kenny Omega or John Moxley or whomever. You know, like they don't think of them that way. And he's about their size. So stop talking about that. Like be yep. aware that that is a prelim. And I hate, and I'm disappointed saying it because I've been an advocate. I coined the phrase cruiserweight and then Mark Madden glommed it and took credit for it. Um, but I glommed <laughs> it as a way to reframe the junior heavyweight and light heavyweight divisions, which had been stigmatized. Um, I wrote an editorial saying, call it cruiserweight, really amplify the athleticism. But as time has gone on, basically cruiserweights became centerpiece star heavyweights. Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, Ray Mysterio, the list goes on. So, it just it sort of didn't, we didn't need a separate division anymore because pro wrestling in 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 most places wasn't a, a, a dominated by big men anymore. Um, you know, it used to be Don Morocco's and even Tito Santana would you know tower over some of the top guys in AEW. Um, if you look back at kind of the '80s Intercontinental title picture, so to me, you just don't bring that up um, because it sadly has been stigmatized as a prelim thing. <laughs> With that point made, um, Joe was really good on the microphone and um, just seems like this alpha, confident, badass, where if you beat him, it's going to really count. Um, it's going to really um, seem like a big deal. What What did you think of, uh, of Joe tonight? So a few things. First of all, I could tell by your backup quarterback assessment that you're still stung from the Josh Dobbs experiment. And if, as a Steelers fan who, you know, we drafted Josh Jobs, so I, I could have told you that was going to happen probably from the start. Great guy, very intelligent. I just knew he wasn't the long-term answer. Having said that, I'll move on to the wrestling because that's why everyone else is really here. Um, in terms of Joe and Hangman, I know I was on record of, of saying I could have seen Joe after World's End being champion for anywhere from a week to six months. And after what he's done the last few months – I don't think it's time to take the title off him, but at the same time, I do want to see them take a chance on someone like Swerve Strickland and, and kind of run with them. But I don't think it's the time yet. I think they can hold this off until double or nothing. Uh, we talked about how there's some loose threads still there with Prince Nana and the fact that he is aligned with some guys that are still heels, including Nana being a heel manager. And you can kind of, you know, cut those threads loose before you get back in him back into the main event at double or nothing. Um, 
Having said that, I also saw some ubst- uh, unsub- uh, easy for me to say unsubstantiated reports today saying that there will be an April pay per view. So it could be something where, if that's the case as well, you know, maybe he does not eat the pin this Sunday, and you find a way to go with that match in pay- in April. Um, I have been very impressed with Samoa Joe the last couple of months. I think he's done a great job as world champion. And it's going to be tough to take the title off him because he does come off as a legit badass. Um, in terms of the cruiserweight verbiage that was used tonight, I, I agree with you. When he said that and he brought it up, I kind of tilted my head because never in the history of Swerve Strickland, uh, whether you know on NXT, especially on national television, I've never thought of Swerve, Swerve Strickland as a light heavyweight, cruiserweight, middleweight type guy. So, yeah, yeah. that kind of caught me off guard also. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I, I was going to ask you, and I know you probably won't make your official prediction until later in the week, but do you think that we see a title change this weekend? If you'd asked me maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, I think we were, I would have been leaning more towards yes. But to your point, I think Samoa Joe has just done such a great job with the, the championship and it made it seem you know, like you've got to really put in a – tough badass performance to beat this guy and and i don't know that i would take the title from him that quick considering the how he's kind of cemented himself that way the last three four months i am fine with swerve winning um with the idea being you don't want to miss out on that window um Mm -hmm. but i'm also okay with him being on the chase more and really hedging a bit if you're Tony Khan. We've got Will Ospreay, maybe Okada. Kenny Omega will probably come back someday. Um, Joe's a good champion. I mean, there's so many options. They, I don't. I think you could actually hedge a bit and go, let's see how Swerve does as a babyface for a while and have him be on the chase. And we can decide based on how he develops and whether we want to go with him. Because what you don't want to do is have Swerve win Sunday, but not have figured out how to be the baby face who keeps his edge. And fans are kind of into Joe. Joe walked out, here Joe, Joe, Joe chance. If you take the title from a popular semi-heel tweener champion like Joe, you're taking away some matches that people might look forward to seeing for the world title. So you better be good. And Swerve is good, and fans are into him. But is he as good as Joe? Is he in the league of Will Ospreay? You know, th- those are mm-hmm. like legit questions that are still out there. So if they decide to wait on it, I don't think it's the same as like, you know, Cody where, you know, people are like, well, he was so ready last year. And, and he was. And he, they could have gone with him and he would have been totally fine. But Cody's got way more of a proven track record um, than Swerve and, and did even in the lead up. So my thinking is keep it on Joe. I think they will, but I'm, I'm very unsure. Uh, but I, I just think, having Joe be a strong dominant champion, kind of Gunther like before losing to, you know, Will Ospreay at Wembley, for instance, makes more sense because with Swerve with Swerve as a babyface, who's the heel who's going to take it from him? And do you want to rush it so that you can then have Will Ospreay challenge for it, for instance? So I think there's a lot of moving parts and then the Okada question, um, and anybody else that they, you know, want to move into that spot um in that mix, Swerve limits it a bit. Hangman, I just don't think they're going to go that route at this point. So I, I, he would be a distant third. 
But but I'm not ruling that out either. If they just want to have Hangman use, get a cheap win to get the belt off of Joe, but then set up Swerve in a rematch winning the title. Um, or just using Hangman to lose to uh, Will Ospreay in, in Wembley. I mean, there's a lot. I don't know. There's all kinds of directions they can go. Uh, uh, Tony, what do you think of, of kind of the scenarios I threw out there? My rationale for how I feel. Do you disagree on it? And are there any other scenarios that are in your mind? So when you started to lay out uh, your scenario of what could happen to Swerve if if maybe it is if he's given that title too early, the the scenario that popped into my mind immediately was the I want to say I think it was 2008 the 2008 scenario with CM Punk where he won his first world title when he cashed in on Edge mm-hmm. and he was world champion for three or four months and. He wasn't quite ready, and he was being for, kind of forced as a babyface at the time. And it didn't work, and for three or four months he was champion. You know, he was he was holding the title, but he wasn't the top guy. And I could see that happening with the, the scenario you kind of put in there, where you see him swerve as champion, but then you have Osprey, and to your point, maybe Okada. Omega's probably coming back. Uh, Adam Cole might be back in a few months. Uh Supposedly, MJF is rehabbing, and he may be back in the next couple months. And you're looking at a very similar situation like we did back in 2008 where Punk was champion, but the guys headlining the pay-per-views were still Edge and Cena and Batista, guys like that. And and it kind of brought me around to your idea of thinking that, you know, uh, while I was on the fence and kind of going back and forth, to me now, you've convinced me. I think Samoa Joe is the way to, to go, at least for a few more months, and mm-hmm. maybe give him that good six-month title run, have him mow through some more guys. You could even probably, if he continues to carry the title and, and make it look as credible as it is, you could maybe even hold off all the way until All In to, I know. to do it, and then maybe maybe Osprey's the guy to do it there. So, And it, he's the one that slays uh, that giant. So you yeah. got me, you've convinced me with that <laughs> argument, because like I said, the, the the argument that came around from or it it just reminded me of CM Punk 2008 where he wasn't ready whereas a year later he was yeah. even though he had to go back to being a heel yeah yeah all right very good um our uh, we had a couple people on hold they dropped off so there's no one line right now so if you maybe we covered their topic so if you want to um, get on the show right away you can you can uh, push one if you're on hold or you can call three four seven two one five eighty five fifty eight three four seven two one five Eight five five eight and push one. In the meantime, um, we'll go to uh, the mailbag. We definitely have some emails to get to here. I'll start with uh, Zach in Texas. He says, uh, "Gentlemen, is it 1997? Do you think this goes on to be a positive or negative comment, Tony?" Uh, 1997 pertaining to what? Do you mean like? Well, it's just his email. Oh, no, that's yeah. the whole point. His email just opens. It is it 1997? Question mark. So is that is he being snarky or going? Yeah, <laughs> I guess I, uh, I, you can look at it a couple of different ways. Yeah, I that's guess. why I uh, I'm putting you yeah, on the spot. I'm putting you on the yeah. spot. But Zach, Zach from Texas emails every week, and he's always pro AEW. So it was it was a it was a uh, trick question in a way. Yeah. So he follows up by going, "Hot damn! What a moment and what a final dynamite appearance for Sting. Seeing him repel from the Raptors one last time, I still have chills. I could have done without Ric Flair, but not even that old perv can ruin this moment." Sting is a superhero, and we got to see him be a superhero one more time. Now, here's hope, and he goes out on top Sunday. If anyone deserves to retire as champion, it's Sting. And by the way, he, he writes for PW Torch, and his column earlier talked about how mm. Sting is like his favorite wrestler and uh, as a kid, and he's sad he's retiring. As for the rest of the show, CMLL guys really need a win. 
This has been a really lopsided interpromotional battle. Nick Wayne is Dominic Mysterio with actual proficient wrestling talent. There's something to that. Well, Osprey being a clear babyface was great. The opening segment did exactly what it needed to do. Hangman is heel, Swerve is really over as a face, and Joe is Joe. Fingers crossed Swerve walks out of Revolution with a title, because, say it with gusto, whose house? Swerve's house. Um, so, Tony, a few comments in there. I, I'm going to just start with Nick Wayne. He is so good right mm-hmm. now. He reminds yeah. me of the Lightning Kid in Global Wrestling Federation. For, we go on to become 123Kid and, and X-Pac, mm-hmm. Sean Waltman. He was such a good skinny punk heel wrestler, young wrestler back in, on ESPN during the Joe Pettacino Global Wrestling Federation days. And um, and Nick Wayne is is so good at this stage. I mean, I saw Sean Waltman very early in his career. Actually, a little before he was 18, he was working Andy shows. And uh, Nick reminds me a lot of him in terms of his heel persona. He is so crisp. He's in the right spot at the right time. Even when he shifts into position, when a move is coming up and you're out of position for it, he does it in a way that's not obvious. Like the, the little mm-hmm. little details of what he does between moves and the setup and the timing. And I, I'm going to pick on Sammy Guevara because I haven't done it in a while. Like He doesn't like look at the camera and go, hey, look at me in the middle of a fight. He knows he's in a right. fight to win a match. He's not there to posture for the camera. It's like he gets the business. There's little things that there's an absence of irritants and an abundance of 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 evidence that he was raised in wrestling and gets it. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, he had a good reputation coming in, but he's he's exceeded, I think, even his reputation so far. Um, and, uh, and and was was really good tonight. So, uh, Tony, I'll throw to you for thoughts on him. Yeah, I agree. He I mean, he was obviously trained properly and it's it shows in his ring work i mean there's no denying uh from an in-ring standpoint you know the sky's the limit i mean he's still only 18 i don't think he turns 19 for another month or two or whatever um but absolutely uh when it comes to the comparisons to dom mysterio um hmm. i would say that you know nick wayne has to do has to uh work on the character aspect of that. But again, he's 18 years old. He's going to, he's got plenty of time. I mean, it took Dom, what, two or three years to develop uh, a character that the fans could really sink their teeth into. And, and we've seen that, you know, come to fruition on WWE television. So uh, I don't mind the comparison. You know, he has a ways to go with the character work, but there's, like I said, he's 18. The the character work I feel like could be developed and and, you know, it's just, if he's works with the right guys backstage, he gets the right advice. I mean, being, I, I can't imagine that him being put with Christian cage, you know, to help mentor him, even backstage, I'd imagine. Um, I can't imagine that being a bad thing because Christian cage, you know, for many years underrated with his character work and he, he's doing, you know, he's done his best work from a character standpoint, probably in the past six months. So, so having him with someone like that is only going to benefit him because uh, from an in-ring standpoint, like I said, sky's limit. And I, I the, him developing a character, uh, he's got plenty of time for that to happen. And and we're going to quite literally watch him grow up on television. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be really fun to watch, uh, especially when he does uh, find you know what it is to to connect with the, to the crowd from a character standpoint. Uh, Zach also brought up Will Ospreay and saying he was a mm-hmm. clear baby face and. I'm glad that they didn't have Will come out and do some sort of like over the top heelish bit before they they you know he then you know something happens where he gets disenchanted with Don Callis. I, I think it's good to just introduce him tonight or reintroduce him tonight, I guess, but introduce his current character without a big change Sunday. 
Um, you know, when Don Callis stepped in and said, you know, we did great things, those matches, I, you know, and starts taking co-credit for what Osprey achieved in, in the previous matches in AEW that he listed off. Osprey, I thought, hit the right note. He wasn't over the top with his acting, but he wasn't so subtle you couldn't pick up on it, but it wasn't in full view of Don Callis. And where it's like, you know, just telegraphing that that to Don Callis, if he hears from friends, hey, well, Osprey's not into you anymore. Um, it, it, it was just enough for us to pick up on it, but it to be believable that Don Callis would still think he's got him with him, even come Sunday. And so, yeah, and then, you know, some tension with Takeshita and Osprey, but that's going to happen even if they, you know, were friends. It doesn't matter that this is telegraphed, that Osprey's not going to be long for the Don Callis family. Um, unpredictability is not the number one goal in pro wrestling. It's just telling a good story in a believable mm-hmm. way that, that that pulls fans in an immersive way into the story you're telling. And now people are just going to be anticipating seeing Will Ospreay choose to disassociate from Don Callis rather than the other way around. And it's much better if you want to be a top, top babyface to, um, to turn against the heels rather than have the heels dump you. Um, you know, that, that hurts Seth Rollins. Uh, you know, and I don't know that he's like, I don't know that he ever fully recovered from, you know, the momentum he would have had if he dumped the the authority instead of them dumping him. So that's my mm-hmm. kind of go-to example, but it's, it's happened multiple times, you know, in, in history uh, where that happened. So I thought this was a good start for Will Ospreay. He, I thought he was a little bit too goofy with Shivani early on, um, you know, just his facial expression and stuff. If, if you want to make an early big-time first impression as – and I keep saying first impression, but a lot of people watching don't know, know him, but – um, most people are, you know, aware of him or have seen him do some other work in AEW. So there's, you know, there, there's that reputation that precedes him and, and at least some, uh, body of work. And obviously a ton of people who go to AEW shows have watched him, you know, on YouTube or New Japan, uh, New Japan streaming. So that said, um, the crowd was so into him that he didn't really need to brag too much. The announcers didn't have to talk him up. The crowd was just like, yeah, this guy's a star. But I, I guess my only nitpick was just that the, the, the the kind of the goofball face he made when he was moving in for a hug with Shivani. But I also thought it was endearing and the rest of it was good that I don't think it hurt. Uh, but that's just the only thing that like I might've edited out in post-production if I could. Um, Cause I want him to be a cool top tier guy. If I'm Tony Khan, um, not, not like a goof. And I think overall he comes across as a star with credibility and confidence and he was likable. And I thought they hit the notes right in terms of his association with Don Callis um, where you know it's coming, um, and Don Callis is just obnoxious enough where you can imagine Osprey only being able to handle him in small doses. And he, now that he's full time, he won't be able to deal with him anymore. Uh, so, uh, Tony, what did you think? Yeah, overall, I was I was happy with the appearance as well. Um, you know, I saw some reactions on social media where it was like, "Oh, he should have dropped the Kester right away," and he shouldn't have. You know, he's letting Callis. You know, like you alluded to, take some credit for th- some things that really he had nothing to do with. Because you know, but boy, then you're just blowing through weeks of TV. Let this breathe. You're going to get to see over the coming weeks. You know, will they let Don Callis continue to to subtly take credit for things that he had nothing to do with? And we could watch Will Osprey slowly get kind of annoyed with Don Callis and his shtick, and and then, like I said, you kind of you could kind of go from there. But there was no need for him to do that tonight. I liked that he kind of just you could see it on his face he was like when he said you know we beat we did this we did that and you saw it on Will's face that it was like it was very subtle as you said you could see it in his face the, the his mannerisms that like the we part kind of rubbed him the wrong way but but he shook it off and like I said let that play out it's gonna breathe and over the next over the coming weeks where I think we're gonna see 
something developed because, you know, Osprey is a big enough star, much like we talked about earlier. Uh, I don't want to see him wheel back around into the United Empire, at least not immediately, and that's what I'm hoping that they don't use that as a crutch. Let Osprey be on his own for a while because he's a big enough star that he should be able to shine and and uh, the, the little bit of the, the goofy uh, interaction with Shivani at the top, it didn't bug me as much as it, bu- as, as it bugged you, but I, I could see what you're saying. Um, I think uh, part of it was just him saying, yeah, I am happy to be here. You know, it's a new start for me. And as long as, um, like you said, he doesn't lean into that and come uh, come across as a, as a goofball going forward, I think I'm willing to let this one slide. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is not yeah. a uh, – it's not like I'm – I mean, I, I spent a minute on it, but yeah, I don't think in any way. And it mm-hmm. might actually turn out to be one of his defining traits that works. I, I just think if you're the new full-time guy and and they should have him, you know, uh, they should in their mind imagine him being the centerpiece face of this brand. Like that should be an option right. that they're not only considering, but aiming for. They want him to mm-hmm. be their Cody, you know, their guy who everybody loves and you pay to see and heels come after him. And I mean, that's what you hope he turns out to be. So yeah. everything is, you know, you don't want to micromanage him where he's not himself. And it could turn out part of being himself is that. And like I said, it was kind of charming and endearing. But for a first impression, you don't want anyone in the audience going, I've heard a lot about this guy, and that's him. Like, you you, you mm-hmm. want to have some gravitas, I guess, is, is my point. Um, you want to come across as a star. and But you also want to be yourself. So we'll see. We'll see how it works. You know, he's he's going to be a, a fixture on a weekly American national cable show. And he's never mm-hmm. really done it to this scale for the, with the type of, you know, being the central figure that he's going to be. So this is new territory. Kenny Omega had moments, but he didn't embrace it. He didn't adjust fully enough to take full advantage of the star he could have been. And don't repeat that. Um, you know, make sure that, Unlike, you know, I say it all the time, but Kenny, you know, half the time he's on TV, looked like he rolled out of bed and, and didn't change clothes to get on TV. Just was wearing whatever happened, whatever he wore to the gym or whatever he wore to bed, uh, whatever he wore to go to the kitchen to fry some eggs. Like, carry yourself <laughs> like a star. And, and, and part of that is how you carry yourself. It's how you're dressed. It's how you're presented. Don't follow, don't make the same mistake. Like, that, that was made early on with AEW where the assumption was, ah, everybody knows these are big stars from Japan. We don't need to worry about how we look and dress and the facial expressions we make. Protect him. Um, you know, you don't want him to seem like he's not being himself or he's walking on eggshells, but you just curate a little bit. Um, the, the people who draw money in this business are the people who come across, you know, the top, top money in, in this United States environment that AEW is trying to succeed with within the within right now. It's Roman Reigns. It's Cody. It's the people mm-hmm. who, yes, you know, Cody's relatable and he's a wrestling fan. He's not too good to admit that, but you imagine he's living a really cool high end life. And even the, you know, oh, I went to Barbados for 10 days and it was great. Like, it, you know, he's personable, but he's also, you know, talking about having fun. And so that's good. But put a lot of thought into his personality and his presentation. Decide what parts of him parts of him that are authentic you're going to amplify what are you going to subtract because it's counterproductive what are you going to add even if it's not authentically him because it fits everything else in order to make him a big star they need to put a lot of thought into that because successful promoters and top top wrestlers do i knew steve austin very well in the 90s i know how much thought he put into every detail he seemed authentic he seemed completely at ease with who he was but there wasn't anything he did that he didn't put a ton of thought into 
I mean, every little detail about how the vest fit. And I mean, it didn't have a lot of gimmickry. It wasn't DDP with layers of stuff. But uh, the, the walk, the strut, the, the timing, it felt natural. But it was things he put a lot of thought into because he knows that's what it takes to be a star. So AW should aim high with Osprey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned Kenny Omega and how he didn't lean into it. And um, you can even talk about the booking mistakes just from this past year with Jay White. And it's, I know. I, yes. I, I love Jay White's work. I, I look back at, you know, the stuff that he did in New Japan and especially from uh, his promo work. And, you know, I mean, it, the, the in ring work is always there, it's, it speaks for itself. And, but man, it's just to see what he's doing right now. And, you know, I hate this bang bang scissor gang thing and you know i'm not even down on you know i know jason's talked about it and i know you've talked i'm not even as much down on the bullet club gold thing i understand why some would be because it's like a rehash of uh time you know something from 10 years ago that was super hot i don't mind that so much as long as he's being featured properly but this whole mega group with the acclaimed and the bullet club gold and how he's he's almost he you talk about being goofy Jay White right now is just mm. – and it hurts. It, it's like as a as a wrestling fan and someone that loved his work in New Japan, it, it kind of hurts my wrestling soul <laughs> to see what they're doing with Jay White right now. It, it hurts really bad. You know what's so telling is when I'm talking to all the top guys that AEW might get behind and want to have world title matches with, Jay didn't even cross my mind. Like that's yeah. how far he's fallen. Like, I you know, I'd never thought that a year ago. It's, it's Exactly. Cool. Yeah, so – let, that is a more recent example than mm-hmm. Kenny Omega about, you know, and yeah. Jay, Jay's got his act down. I mean, the, the rhythm of how he talks and, and the cadence mm-hmm. and his body language, it's it's all there to be main event. And he's just a guy. I mean, he's not quite Jeff Jarrett and Satnam Singh and Sanjay with, with you know, but I mean, even, I mean, Max Caster, what happened to him? His, his cool mm-hmm. factor went from 10 to like 1.5 and he just seems to embrace you know that, that's i guess maybe that's a little bit where my thought on on osprey came in it's like don't be a goof like yeah. you, max caster's yeah. already like lowered his his marketability by having that weird crush on mjf with that storyline that MJF, nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and now he's standing in the background and he's just i don't know it just it's like his soul got replaced with some other soul now and the cool is gone and yeah, and so Jay White, another good example. Um, I think, Jay, you can still fix. And I did like Jay White tonight acknowledging that, you know, because people picked up on it, that he wasn't so sure about this group. But I don't know that it helps that now he's saying he is sure because I don't think anybody else watching is. I, I don't believe him. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, like I've, I've, just in previous weeks, sure, tonight he seemed a little bit better. But I, I kind of try to study him just because of the fact that he should be such a huge deal in this company. and. They have so many guys that really they could have two, two split rosters if they wanted to. Different conversation for a different time. Mm-hmm. But I try to watch him from week to week when he's doing these backstage segments, and I can't imagine. I mean, maybe I'm I you know I'm not a mind reader. I can't imagine he's happy with this. If you'd have told him a year ago you're going to be, you know, in a six man group with with the guns, that's not so bad. But then you're talking about Billy Gunn and the acclaimed. And, it, and it's going to be kind of like a, a goofy comedy segment, and you're going to be holding the six-man titles for Ring of Honor. He, uh-huh. I think he'd have laughed at you and uh-huh. said, "There's not a chance. I'm, I'm way, you know, I'm way too good for that." And whew, I just, and it's he like was, a fever dream. I just want it to end. 
And, you know, like people talked about Braun Breaker. Oh, call him up. Why aren't they calling him up? Why aren't they calling him up? And I'm like, yeah. because you don't want to call someone up who you have really high hopes mm-hmm. for just because they're ready. You got to call them up yeah. when you're ready to give them the big push. Right. And Jay White got put into the world title picture because of not because that was a master plan, but because they needed someone. And right. he in the whole story, what he was just a guy as a placeholder for this other story that was totally MJF centric. And I heard Jay was not happy at all with how that went. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, if, I don't want to like attach specific words. Disenchanted is probably overstating it, but a little disgruntled with like, wait, I'm just like, I'm just your utility guy that you threw in and the whole story is about other people. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to lose to a guy who, who can barely walk or what, you know, it's just like, it was just terrible. So they got to rebuild him, but yeah. Anyway. Let's yeah, I don't know if it was real quick. I was just gonna say I don't know if it was brought up at the time. He felt like a placeholder for CM Punk at that time. Punk yep. had that fake, the fake world title. So how did they fix that? Jay stole the world title. To me, it was that was their way of uh, him being a surrogate for Punk in that moment, and, and it and I couldn't yep. understand it. Yep. So so many bad things in 2023 regarding MJF. Um, and I always do the cat. I always you know, it's not an excuse, but it's just factual. A lot of things were not MJF's fault. A lot of just bad luck happened. But mm-hmm. their adjustments to that bad luck, um, not much went well. All right, we'll go to uh, Jason B., who says, uh, tonight's Dynamite was good so far. He sent this in uh, mid-show. But why have rankings if you're going to have an open challenge? And he also added, I thought Osprey came off as a big star tonight. Um, he's attending Revolution this weekend, he notes too. So, uh, Jason, that should be fun and and uh settle in because there's a lot of you know good to really good matches on this show um so yeah osprey came off as a star but he asked about oh yeah the rankings remember remember when we were like oh they're bringing the rankings back and then it seems like they lost interest after a week and a half i mean i know they like i think they've updated them a couple times but it's not a central part of the show i mean WWE's doing more with their video with their silly video game rankings than uh than aw is with uh with theirs so it, it seems like it's something they're going to bring up when it's convenient but they're not going to abide by it as kind of a central driving force of of who gets title shots and part of that is the challenge of deciding who in the top five gets a shot at which title and why they have too many titles yeah i mean the too many title thing i i you know i think Anyone that follows the business enough knows that that's a thing, but we don't even have to go down that avenue right now. The rankings themselves, it, they seem to be more of a, a hindrance on the booking than helping because when you in, introduce something like that and if you're going to stick to it, then you have to book around it. And you, then mm-hmm. like to to the uh, the point of the email, you, you, the open challenges don't make sense. It's yep. uh, it's just – it's it makes things messy. And I, you know, when they got rid of them the first time, I understood why I don't mind them keeping records, but the rankings themselves, they, they just kind of, they put like a, a chokehold on your booking and it's just, it's, it's, it's better. If, if they let them fade away again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. All right. I'm next. Uh, Kevin from Colorado says, Hey, Wayne and Tony, I'm watching the Nick Wayne, Orange Cassidy match. And I'm curious if you guys think that Nick Wayne's high flying style could possibly pose a threat to him playing a heel character. I don't catch Dynamite much, and I keep track of everything through the torch and its coverage. Looking forward to hearing your responses. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I I don't think so. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I think it's a hind- it's been a hindrance to Sammy Guevara, but that's because Sammy didn't know how to play a babyface or a heel. He just was Sammy. Like he didn't he didn't adjust the presentation of his heel moves 
to make you resent them. He just kept doing high spots to get his spots in. And, and yeah, I mean, it just obviously there was sort of a, um, a, a lack of self-awareness when, you know, mashing faces with his fiance turned into a, a, a repulsive thing for fans. It was just too much. And they were just a bleep. Why don't you love seeing us make out? We're hot. I mean, it just, there were just things that somebody in their late 20s should have known better than. Um, and, and I'm bashing him a lot here, but I, I'm not alone in this thought. And it definitely um, was, was exhibited in terms of crowd responses. Some bad choices were made there, but he didn't know how to really, really lean into being a heel. And he also, um, you know, as a baby face got was kind of bland. He didn't know. It's kind of what I talked about with Swerve. You've got to figure out when you go from, cause Sammy was a rising star and a pillar for a reason. He's super talented has, you know, great look, some, some innate charisma that, that you can't create. Um, you know, you have to have it. There's a lot there, but there's just some lack of refinement, immaturity to the presentation of the character that cost him when he went baby face. And it just, everything interesting about him just was drained from him when he went baby face. Um, so to me, like Sammy's a good case study for what not to do. And Sean Waltman is a good case study for what to do. And when you look at X-Pac, when he was with Hall and Nash and DX, he was, you know, the background player and he had, you know, the, the X-Pac go away heat as people called it, but he was that punk who could get away with being, it's kind of like Dominic, you can get, get away with being brash and more full of yourself than you should because you you're surrounded by bigger, tougher people. And so when Nick Wayne is doing high flying moves, People are going to pop for him, but he is overriding the crowd's natural tendency to cheer for high-flying moves because he's such a punk. Like, no matter how graceful and quick and athletic he is, he's doing the other parts well enough to override that. It's a challenge Seth Rollins had. Every time he's been a, a heel, he has, and it goes back to things I know he was told when he was in NXT, which is stop trying to get all your spots in. We're trying to get you over as a heel. And he's like, I want to get my spots in. I got my spot. I got to dive through the ropes to ringside. Um, there's that inclination from, you know, a certain generation of, of wrestlers that that's how you get over and that's how you get social media buzz. Um, but when you're a heel, you've got to augment some of that stuff or be so obnoxious that people resent you despite being exciting. I think, again, Nick Wayne has that instinct or that pedigree is probably a better way to put it um, in, in doing it right. So I'm not too worried about that. But I, really, I'm not at all worried about it uh, based on what I've seen so far. He can be exciting, but he also is taking great bumps. He's a great foil. Um, his facial expressions are coming along. Um, I just, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about it. How about you, Tony? Yeah, I, I kind of, I tend to agree with you. It's it's more of a self-awareness thing. You mentioned Sammy Guevara, and it's almost like a Seth Rollins syndrome, so to speak, where it's like, you know, when you're a heel, you do have to work a different style. Um and we and it, I mentioned it before. He was, you know, he was obviously very well trained. He knows what he's doing. You even mentioned all the subtleties about how to make things look like it's it's more realistic. Whereas Sammy is looking at the at the the camera. He's playing to the, the crowd at home. Um, not to mention, you know, and it's almost like I, I'm repeating myself, and I don't mean to, but it's just it kind of fits the what I'm going for here. You know, he is he's now under the learning tree of Christian Cage. And if there's anyone that knows how to, to work a style where you're going to be doing some high-flying things and work some high-spot-type matches, it's going to be Christian and still be a heel because him and Edge did it in the early 2000s. I mean, yeah. sure, they, they got their share of cheers, but those guys were also the heels for most of those feuds. And if anyone can you know steer him in the right direction at this point, it's going to be Christian Cage. And I 
I think, you know, we, we both kind of put Nick Wayne over big today in this show. And it's for a reason. I, I don't see him running into that problem. He seems like to your, to exactly what you said, he's, he's been taught the right way and he has the, 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 the proper pedigree that I, I don't think it's going to happen. All right, let's go to uh, JB from Detroit next. Um, one, was the hangman ankle injury at work the entire time, or was it a happy accident that they were conveniently able to use it for his continued heel turn? I think it was work all along, uh, Tony. I, I haven't like confirmed that, but I, I that's just been my understanding, I guess, of it, where I haven't even considered that it was legit. Yeah, uh, and it's like I last time we spoke, uh, the last time I was on the post show, like I said, I, I try to be as well-rounded and and pay attention to as many respected wrestling journal- journalists as possible. I know Sean Ross Sapp came out last week and said that this, he confirmed that this was a, that Hangman is just that good at his job, that he had <laughs> so many people convinced yeah. he was really injured last week. Um, and I know it became a big thing with uh, uh, Jerry Lynn and yeah. it turned into a mini feud <laughs> with him and Sean Ross Sapp where he's yeah. like, it should, you shouldn't be reporting this, but when people think he's really injured, you know, it's, that's a, another debate for another time. But, um, yeah, apparently this was going to be something where Hangman might have had a personal issue and wasn't maybe going to be able to work the pay-per-view. I think after tonight that question has been answered. But um, the the final answer from Sean Ross Sapp was that Hangman's just that good at his job, uh, much to the way that uh, Randy Orton was this past weekend in the chamber where some people thought he re-injured his back. If, if you're that good of a worker, you know, you – you should be able to get some people to believe that you're really injured. And uh, it's a credit to those guys that when they do try to pull that angle off. Yeah. I've, I've known Jerry Lynn since the 1980s when he was having standout matches mm-hmm. on the indie scene with Sean Waltman. And I think Jerry Lynn is the, yeah. has, has a wider array of wrestlers have had their best match with Jerry Lynn than just about anybody during his decades in action. I have immense respect for him, but I don't know that he, I, the job of a journalist is not, to forward storylines or cover up um, for right. a company that's pulling a con. So you either need to seal off leaks and sell, have Hangman sell it the whole time or do a different kind of storyline yeah. that's easier to, to, to sell, to, to, to not have word get out that it's a work. Uh, if Sean Ross Sapp heard that he's not really hurt and he didn't report it, that's not doing his job. Mm-hmm. To me, that's different than giving away the finish of a match or saying this is going right. to be a, this is going to be the match at WrestleMania and doing it a month before the angle plays out. Like that's just show off reporting. Uh, hey, guess what I found yeah. out? Now I'm going to spoil it for you. But when you do an injury angle, injuries are part of a reporter's job to report on. Res- wrestling promotions do fake injuries and real injuries. You can't you can't earn the respect of your audience or keep the respect of your audience. If you seem like you're in on the work, you're in on the con, that you're hiding information from your from your readers when they're worried that Hangman might be legit injured. So don't do injury angles and expect it to last a week and expect journalists to be in with you. They're not getting a paycheck from you. That's not their job. It's just, it's a different category. I sympathize with Jerry Lynn's frustration, by the way. Um, you, you would mm-hmm. If you're going to do an angle and you want it to work... And especially because AW caters to the social media crowd and the internet crowd, you do not want word getting out that takes away the fun. Because basically, your audience is people. At least the ticket buying public, they're just waiting for a swerve because they're all over social media. Because Tony Khan 
I think, limits himself by playing mainly to people who are on social media. Not as much as Tony. Nobody is. But, you know, a lot. (laughs) So in listening to podcasts like this and going to websites like ours. So I get the frustration. If I'm doing that, if I'm in the position Jerry's in, of course I want things to play out and be surprises. Um, But the way to do that is to seal, seal, seal the borders in-house, not blame a reporter for reporting facts. Right. And I, and I think you, you made the point that if you're listening to this show or you're listening to one of Jason's shows on ProWrestling.net or you're, you're subscribing to Sean Rossap's stuff, uh, you're not looking for, you're not, you're not subscribing to a kayfabe magazine. It's, right. you're not, you're not going to get that. So, uh, you know, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Wasn't sure if we were going to dive into that at all, but yeah, I mean, and I, all the respect in the world for Jared Lynn, but I, I agree with you on, basically everything you just said yeah yeah i mean i, I don't think it's a it's an egregious statement from jerry lynn because he's not a journalist it's not his mm-hmm. his right. area he, he's he's a guy who wants to tell a good story in a wrestling show and is frustrating frustrated that word got out but it is not fair um to expect that a sean Rossette. now part of the problem is when you're a, a reporter who is reliant it used to be photo access like that was a key for the magazines the reason they they kissed up to every booker and promoter uh, in their writing is because they needed access to ringside photos in order to have the photos they needed to, to publish magazines and sell them. And when you're reliant upon cooperation from the company for press credentials or getting your question taken on press conferences or getting interviews with wrestlers and not being ostracized and seen as the enemy, you have to check what you report. You don't have to, but there, there's a, there is a motivation to check what you report and play along and uh and and not sometimes say publicly what you're saying privately and um that and and there's enough people like that that someone in in rest in a in a you know executive position in wrestling can ex- can then come to expect that from everyone not realizing that everyone isn't just doing this because they're fanboy fangirls who just want access and want to be friends with the wrestlers and the promoters that's not journalism it's 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 whatever the term is now you know fan fandom uh uh content creators i don't know you know there's a whole other content creators yep that's well, what I know. I was, yep. there are content creators but there's content creators right. who are journalists so i, I was i was adding the, the prefix to yeah. it which is the fanboy or fangirl the fandom based content creators right. the ones who are advocates for what they are talking about or writing about and you know mm-hmm. you can do that, and that's fine. But it's not the same category right. as being a reporter or a journalist who is willing to risk sources and access to serve their readers primarily. And you know certainly that's been our our approach from the torch from the beginning. And it's it's cost us right. access to to certain people who were very friendly mm-hmm. with us at one point, and then when they did something controversial and we didn't hold back, um, you know they they got upset. Um, but that that just comes with the territory and. Each, each entity and brand can uh, approach things the way that they want. Um, okay, uh, number two from JB from Detroit. I'm not sure Swerve mentioning his prior sinister heel acts was the best way to further himself as a babyface on the chase. I have mixed feelings about this, and I know why JB's saying that, but to me it was sort of the pink elephant in the living room. Like, you know how you acted, and we're just supposed to pretend you didn't do that? I think this was sort of a release valve. Where he's acknowledging it and he's saying, yeah, but no, he's, I've crossed the line sometimes. And in a way, I mean, yes, it, they shouldn't have done the angle. This is an example of why, you know, because it's just invading someone's home. 
it's just so dumb. I mean, just come on. There's better ways to tell stories in pro wrestling than something that ridiculous and over the top that should lead to you being arrested. And Tony Khan had a bad answer to it when he was asked about it. Um, just don't mm-hmm. do silly stuff like that. There's so many things that have been done the last 25 years in pro wrestling that should last 30 um, when things really went off course. Um, it, you know, Some Vince's who had influence were, were part of it, but others too. Just because you saw it as a kid doesn't mean it was a good idea and it should be done or that it was helpful to the boom period that you watched. There were things that were counterproductive that don't translate to today. And home invasion angles are one of them. Um, and so to me, this was a release valve. It's worth going, yeah, I'm not pretending I didn't do that stuff. I'm owning it. It's part of my character. It's part of my official biography. We're not uh, scrubbing it from my bio. Um, but that's not who I'm going to be you know, anymore. And, uh, I am acknowledging it was crossing a line. I'm going to frame it as here's why I did it. And you didn't imagine it, (laughs) but, uh, you know, we're going to move on. So to me, I'm, I think it, like I said, release file would be kind of the phrase I'd use for it. Get, acknowledge it and move on. Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was a nice touch. He leaned into it, said, you know what? I've done some unsavory things, you know, uh, we all do things we may regret. Maybe he didn't regret. He didn't say that. So I, I actually that's admire open for, or, That's know. open for us to project right. onto him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I said, I'm glad that he didn't say he, you know, that he regretted, regretted or didn't regret it because, you know, that's up to interpretation. And you know what? And as long as he doesn't start going around saying that he's everyone else's scumbag, I think, I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> and, and it worked for MJF. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but still, like, point, it, yeah. I think MJF just, MJF just went too far into it. And I think that's where maybe that's what, uh, he's concerned with that, uh, you know, that Swerve's going to do that, but I would be surprised if Swerve even brings it up again. I have no problem with him bringing it up as a one-off to basically, like you said, acknowledge some things from his past and then move on from it. Uh, and like I said, as long as he doesn't lean into it and it doesn't become part of his uh, everyday gimmick, I think he's going to be fine. Number three, Nick Wayne really makes a great slimy heel with a punchable face. The subtlety of his arrogance between moves is not something a lot of wrestlers his age would have. It's really been valuable for him to work under Christian this early in his career. He wrote that before we talked about Nick. I talked about mm-hmm. Nick before I read what JB said, but boy, are we all on the same page. Um, it's that it, yeah. there's so many people who are into moves, and this is awesome chance, and 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 hard sl- slaps to the chest, and they aren't paying at, uh, attention to what matters as much, if not more, which is what you do between the moves. And the, the, the people who elevate their matches and, and turn into drawing drawing cards and aren't just out for star ratings based on density of high spots – are the ones who draw money and succeed. And the fans that notice that, um, you know, I think can appreciate the art form at a higher level. And that that is something that Nick's doing a good job with. Um, he gets it, you know, and, and you can tell early on if someone's going to get it. Yeah, nothing really to add. Like I, yep. I've said it a couple times now um, that, you know, him being under Christian Cage, it's obvious the you know, just the respect that I have for Christian Cage as a performer and, to, uh, to be under someone like that and yeah. already be light years ahead of what many performers or what many wrestlers are at age 18, I, you know, sky's the limit. He added the patriarchy and Drew McIntyre are leading pro wrestling right now in outright offensive t-shirts. Um, <laughs> 
Number number five, he goes, I'm glad that Will Ospreay had his own segment that framed him as a big deal leading into Revolution. He seemed genuinely excited and running through all his accomplishments in beating O.C., Omega, and Jericho. That was a nice touch. He definitely has a natural charisma to him on top of being arguably the best in-ring wrestler in the world. Don't know if I have anything to add to it, but um, you know, JB, we're on the same page on that. Um, number six, after missing a few weeks, Chris Jericho comes back with a bit of a refresh presentation. Was it noticeable to you, and did it make a difference? I definitely think the match with Atlantis Jr. went way too long. Um, so, yeah, we haven't talked about that much. Tony came out to his old, old, you know, lion, I don't know. I, I, I think it was meant to be this, like, throwback uh, because he was wrestling uh, the son of somebody he wrestled early in his career. Um, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that's not the end of Judas unless it's been reported it is um so i think it's more of a one-off given the context and he's done that before um and yeah the match went too long i was actually pretty surprised by it um i mean it was fine uh but you know everyone's waiting around for sting so you know you can get away with it what would you think of of the jericho presentation his promo his match how long it went all that um the presentation i mean we've seen him do the lionheart thing before whether that's the end of judas or not i mean Probably not. I, I can't see them doing that. That's been such a big part of his presentation for the last five years. Um, the match was it, basically, it's exactly what I was going to say. It, it was fine. It was, it's overstated. It's welcome. Um, I know they're establishing this relationship with CMLL. I was glad that they at least gave a little bit of background on why we were getting this match. Yeah. So I do give them points for that. I really do because a lot of times we go into these matches blind and I'll be completely blunt. I know very little to nothing about CMLL. It's one of those organizations, you know, between CMLL and uh, AAA. I don't know that much unless I it, it pops up on the Torch page or the ProWrestling.net page, and and that's very few and far between. Just because we don't get we don't get a lot of access to to stuff like that here in the states. Um, but I was I was happy they gave us background. Um, it felt to, it looked like Jericho worked most of that match as a heel, though. That's not what he's been doing lately on television. So it just felt so out of place. Beside the obvious thing, like I said, they're trying to form that relationship, and and then even the app, the post match seemed like it wasn't awkwardly dragged on, and nothing happened. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a cliffhanger, and they're and I don't know if. Uh, if Jericho's going to get a match against Atlanta senior next week or in two weeks or whatever, but uh, it just felt like it overstayed its welcome and it was just kind of there. And I didn't understand its purpose other than the AEW CMLL relationship uh, being established to go a little deeper. And, yeah. and I think uh, it was mentioned earlier, uh, eventually these CMLL guys, they got to start getting some wins on AEW television. <laughs> and I know, I know those, uh, the AEW guys are probably going to lose when they go to Mexico, but right. You know, you can you can have those guys win on TV here too, because at this point, I know nothing about most of them, with the exception it's, of Atlantis, because of today's video. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's I don't. It, it's not. Frankly, it's, it, it's sad to say I don't care as much. It, well, th- it's not sad to say. It's not your job to care about things you don't care about. Yeah. It's it's the job of the company right. to present things to you that you care about yeah. by making you care about them. And right. this is, I mean, they're. The idea of AEW being this this company that works with all these other companies, and it's like you know if you grew up a, as a kid, and you know the magazine, the newsstand magazines would talk about that. Why why is WWF have you know the, these walls around themselves? Why won't they let their world champion defend the title outside of it? And you know it was just it was sort of like mm-hmm. this this it was fine for an editorial perspective, and I got it, and I kind of bought into it as a kid reading it. But realistically, 
why would they? They're the number one territory. They they want to they want to control their their stories and 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 you know we don't want to have white towels being thrown in to try to avoid a finish. I mean, not that WWF didn't have people come in. It's part of the Cody Dusty you know finishing the story thing. But this idea that every company not acknowledging all the other companies is doing something wrong, it's not. There's more than one right way to do it. And having your own ecosystem and staying within it is fine. What AEW is doing is also fine. There's ways to execute both well and both poorly. AEW is doing it poorly a lot of the time because they are playing to an audience that knows everything about everything. Basically, it's a show produced for people with Excalibur's knowledge and passion. And, and, and... You you need to hold people by the hand a little bit more. And as Jason said on the flagship yesterday, don't don't assign people to look it up on Google. You know, and early on in AEW, I talk about homework. Like you know, Cody said, you know, Cody Rhodes himself when he was an EVP in AEW early on said, we shouldn't assign people homework. We shouldn't people shouldn't have to leave our our ecosystem um, to figure out what's going on when they tune in for two hours every week. And the CMLL thing feels like. You know, Tony, a grown-up kid, going, wouldn't it be cool if? Um, and obviously, the wrestlers mm-hmm. want to do it. They've got their their dates and their gigs and all that. But they are serving two masters, and it waters down the the it waters down the finishes and the story. There's no investment in the CMLO wrestlers if you're just a typical AW viewer, um, or the AW viewer that AW is at risk of losing if they feel alienated or lost. So, I don't think it it's. It, the way they're doing it is not convincing me. It's it's a good or worthwhile decision. But there's sort of that that the the, the positive is it does feel like when you watch AEW, they're part of this larger wrestling world and all of wrestling history, and it is a way to combat WWE being you know a very closed ecosystem and differentiating yourself. But again, there's a better way to go about it so you don't leave people not caring. Um, Caliber bouncing back and forth between announcing collision and revolution matches couldn't have been more confusing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to keep up on typing up the results and I was just like, okay, I, I, or the, the, not the results, but the, the, the matches being announced and I just gave up. I mean, and then on Friday and then you got Shivani saying the, the, um, countdown shows on Saturday and they have to correct him and say it's Friday. Easy mistake to make if you're listening <laughs> to Excalibur. I don't even know what night I usually know what night Collision and Rampage are on and I, as he was talking, I'm like, is, is Collision changing nights? Is Rampage? It was way too much information thrown <laughs> at us. There is a really good way graphically and and audibly, verbally to explain this stuff and this was a masterclass in how not to do it, Tony. Yeah, and you're a lot closer to Jason than I am. You need to check on him because he, I know he, he's going to, he might've had an aneurysm during that segment because yes. I, I know I, I love listening to his, um his review of a uh, dynamite. Yes. And, I mean, and they hadn't done, it seems like they were gotten better at this for a, a long time, but tonight they, it's like they made up for months of not doing this. And it was one of the most confusing rundowns of future events that I've seen in, in, in a very long time, if not wrestling history, with how they were just bouncing back and forth between Rampage, Collision, Revolution, back to Collision, yep. over yep. to Rampage. And, oh, by the way, this is going to lead to this. And, oh, there's two qualifying matches for this. And then that's going to lead to this match. But Ma- we're going to go back to Rampage. I was like, yeah. are you – is this like an SNL skit? And, and, and it felt like an SNL skit. And, and Magnus versus Matt Seidel is not oh, enough of a payoff God. to confuse us. You know what? 
just surprise us. Just say tune into Rampage. There'll be a qualifying match. Don't tell us it's going to be two people that we care nothing about or little about who have been jobbed out. Like, how do you make the the augmented scramble match, the all-star scramble? It's not an all-star if Matt Seidel is in it. I'm sorry. Matt Seidel is super talented. I've interviewed him, and I mean, mean, he's had his moments for sure and was just one of the most mega-talented people at his peak. But he's not treated as special by AEW. So you got Seidel against Magnus, and you're you're confusing people, and that's mm-hmm. one of the matches that's causing confusion. Just go; there'll be qualifying matches this on Friday and Saturday. Tune in to find out, or check our Twitter feed. Um, and by the way, Tony Khan said because of the injuries of Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Lance Archer, we're not going to have the, the 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 meat. What was it called? The meat fest? The meat? Uh, the meat grinder. God. No, I've forgotten. <laughs> Something. I hit, it, you know what? Yeah. Whatever. I hit. I hit. Yeah. Meat, meet madness, right? Meat, meat madness. madness. Yeah. So we yeah. can't have that match. And now the three people who were in that match are in this scramble, right? Yeah. Was, I, so what is it? I don't get it. So between that, I don't know if that means there were additional larger wrestlers that were supposed to be on the show and they couldn't get oh. into the states, or if they're. That's the only thing I could think about. And then, yeah. uh, you know, you brought up the Magnus thing. And I mean this wholeheartedly, sincerely. Wait, I missed the Magnus announcement in the midst of the confusion because I was trying to keep up with what was going on. Yeah. And I saw it on social media like three minutes later. And I literally went, Magnus, what? I didn't even know. Like, that's I, I, that was not a name I had on my bingo card for tonight uh, for, for Dynamite. And I was just like, Magnus, what, where did that come from? And I'm like, but wait a minute. This guy's going to be in line for a title shot if he wins on. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And 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 isn't he the GM of SmackDown? Like, I don't know. Um, oh. Yeah, just just throwing these names, these CML names out there. Okay, um, I think there's one other point. Okay, uh, JB says I like the way the Bucks told the cameraman to follow them as they searched for Sting. That's kind of attention to detail. I like Tony Khan told me on the eve of the debut of Dynamite on the on this show on the well the Wake Keller podcast, the Blue Eagle Show. Um, he didn't want to do invisible cameras. Like he wanted everyone to always be aware cameras were there. And except for like Adam Cole, MJF nonsense and Roderick Strong having Adam Cole at his house as a as a slave servant, whatever that nonsense was. They've been really good about not doing what WWE is doing, which is so irritating, which is the multiple camera angles where you can tell they filmed it three times and spliced it together because cameras are invisible on, on different angles. That's just stupid. And NXT does it, and I just strongly disagree. I think it breaks the immersion of watching, and it's a production technique that should be wiped out of pro wrestling's presentation, at least in the context that AWWB, TNA, and ROH film stuff. Um, so I, I like that. And Tony's, I think, stuck to it in terms of when you're at the arena, mm-hmm. the cameras are visible, and they're not nosy. They're not given free reign. A camera station there for an interview with Renee. WWE overdoes it with uh we happen to be filming Adam Pierce looking at his phone for no discernible reason <laughs> live on television. But fortunately every time we do it, something interesting happens and a wrestler walks in. Somebody the scene. popped up. It was it's great. So yeah. <laughs> dumb. It's just stop it. It's so dumb because you can film it a multiple in multiple other ways that make sense that makes it feel like a roving camera guy you have coco let's go backstage we hear that uh we hear right now that that chelsea green is approaching adam pierce let's go catch the action you could say that it feels real it's like it's more exciting than we come back from a break and there's someone on their phone it's such a bad stupid low iq trope they should stop it what am i ranting about oh yeah the box good for them yes follow us in here you're invited to follow us i agree i like that attention to detail i got other rants 
having said that, did you get PTSD? I mean, you made a good point. Tony Khan's been, they have been good about this, that they invite the cameras yeah. instead of them just randomly being there. I'm not going to lie. I got PTSD when, when they looked into that mirror that we were going to get an ultimate warrior type oh, yeah. thing. Totally. I, I was thought... so scared. And, <laughs> yes. it, and when it didn't happen, yeah. I, I almost, I, I basically exhaled. Yep. And I went, oh, okay. funny. But, it, but it's so sad that we're, that we're conditioned from years and years of that type of stuff that I'm like, oh my God, they're going to do the ultimate warrior thing with Sting in the mirror. They're going to turn around. Sting's not going to be there. And who's yep. the idiot here? Us or them. And it didn't happen. And I was, uh, and it's and it's crazy that I was so thrilled that that didn't happen. We are so scarred from all our decades uh, watching wrestling. Yeah, oh, I, I did. I was like, yeah, is, is there going to be an image of Sting that shows up as, as Nick looks haplessly into the camera? Or the mirror. <laughs> all right. Uh, finally, uh, JB says, after the beatdown tonight, there's no way I could see Sting and Darby losing at Revolution. I was more nervous watching Flair take bumps than I was um, curious. Um, so, yeah, the, the Sting stuff was fine. All right. We'll go to... Um, I haven't checked the phone lines for a while. Sorry if someone called up and left us. Nope, no one is on hold. Um, who wants to come on the show? All right, so we'll uh, go to uh, Jason in Grand Rapids. Hi, Wade and Tony. Hope you're doing well. Overall, I enjoyed the show tonight. I'm looking forward to Sunday. Sting has been a favorite of mine since emerging on the scene of Jim Crockett Promotions NWA when I was very a very young wrestling fan. Been around a long time. It makes me so happy that he's receiving the send-off he has earned and very much deserves. That little run in WWE was just nowhere near the level it should have been, and I felt they disrespected Sting's legacy. I'm sure I'll shed a tear or two on Sunday, and I can't wait to see the reception he gets in Greensboro. So two questions as it relates to Sting riding off into the sunset. What's next for Darby and the tag titles in either win-loss scenario, and what's next for the Bucks in either a win-loss scenario? Thanks for all you do, Wade, and everyone, go VIP. P.S. Great to see Will Ospreay officially arrive full-time in AEW. Thank you, Jason and Grand Rapids. Um... Yeah, so uh, Tony, I'll throw to you first. Uh, what's what? What do you think is next for Darby and and the tag titles? So the Darby question is is very interesting because the last what three years of his career, he's been so linked to Sting, and now it's going to be. It, I'm curious to see that myself. I, uh, you know, he's he still can. And Sting he, just won't he, wrestle. Oh, yeah, he still. Yeah, I mean, still, that, right? Exactly. Yeah. He still could be. He's been tied to Sting, and basically random TNT title feuds for the last three years, uh, three, four years. So uh, I, I don't know if he's going to just jump back into something like that. I'd love to see him in a fresh feud. Um, like I said, they they have no shortage of talent. There's no reason to believe he can't be put into something meaningful. So um, I would like to think that they win on Sunday and uh, Sting goes out undefeated. But if there's a reason for – Tony Khan to ever, you know, do his favorite thing and start another tournament, it would be, you know, it would be them winning so that he could vacate the titles the next week. And so my belief is I would like, I think the the right decision would be, honestly, I think the Bucks should win this match. I think it will help further develop these characters. Having said that, Tony Khan loves him a tournament and I can see them going out on top. And then a week later, uh, those titles get vacated and we get a tag title tournament. Yeah. Um, I could see a tag title tournament. I I'm, I haven't thought of like the perfect partner for Darby if mm-hmm. like, and I don't like the idea of Sting and Darby winning and then somebody else becoming like right. Darby's tag. It shouldn't be like Freebird rules. That'd be some variation of Freebird rules. But um, yeah, I so 
Uh, yeah, I think I think it makes more sense for for a tournament and Darby enters a tournament with his new partner. Maybe you give him a buy in the first round, or they don't have to. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- it's there's so many titles in AEW. It's not in the lineage isn't mm-hmm. perfect. I'm I'm fine with whatever they do. And if the Buck, if somehow the Bucks win, and I don't think they will. I mean, you just got to have Sting celebrating yeah, with, with the streamers. Yeah. So um, as for what's next for the Bucks, I mean, I don't know. They'll they'll be obnoxious and they'll feud with. I mean, whatever. Who are who are the other b- top babyface tag teams that wouldn't feel like a rerun? Um, you know, they should already be pl- they should already be working on that. Yeah, because you know that we've seen them with FTR before. Even though they're, I guess they left that thread hanging back in October with yeah. FTR. But again, yeah, that was that seems like a lifetime ago. Um, babyface tag teams. Boy, you got my head spinning too, and it's it's crazy because four years ago that this tag team division was so deep um you know and uh, i'm my wheels are spinning yeah that's fine i mean that's that's, that's, yeah yeah i mean i don't want to see bucks and fdr again i want to see fresh opponents and i want to see the bucks elevate some people so they got some work to do but yeah i don't have uh i don't have a good answer for that um anything else you want to bring up from tonight's dynamite we've pushed past the 90 minute mark i i you know i don't want to leave anything behind but we don't have to uh keep going i mean i thought the 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 Moxie Davis and Claudio FTR Kingston match was good. You know, it was a banger for 22 minutes. I, I just, I, I don't know what emotion I have other than maybe frustration. Um, I'm not despondent. That's like way overstating it. But when I see Moxie come out to his music with Danielson and Claudio in their heels, and Danielson's acting like a jerk, and they show a clip of him, you know, low blowing Junakiyama, it's just like, what are we doing here? People mm-hmm. want to cheer Daniel Brian Danielson. He's on his final stretch as a wrestler. Moxley right. isn't even a heel. He just happens to be friends with Danielson and Claudio and they're doing heel stuff. I, I you know, we talked with Jason about it and I've said it in other contexts. I just think it I think Brian Danielson's being super selfish and mm-hmm. wanting to be heel because it's more fun. It's like it's not you're not in the business to have well I guess that's the as I said with Jason yesterday on the flagship. It is a terms of him signing with AEW. He wanted to have fun. But right. I'm not going to pretend it's not selfish. He should be doing what makes the most sense to help AEW draw money. And being a heel with a babyface Moxley and, and a, you know, sort of tweener Claudio, it's just, it's just, it's so counterproductive. And it's not helpful. And AEW needs all the help they can get right now to grow. Um, but it was a heck of a match. And, you know, Danielson and Eddie, I think they've done a good job building it up with the, the asterisk being Danielson shouldn't be a heel, and I don't buy that he's right. a bad dude, and he's just cosplaying a heel with a half grin because he's in, he enjoys being a heel more than a face, and that is not the reason to play a role on television if there's competing reasons to do something else. Yeah, what what I was hoping would come out of this was ultimately Danielson wins this title, and he finally, and, but at the same time, Eddie finally gets that respect that he had never gotten from Danielson at the end. And Danielson will carry this title to the end of his full-time AEW run, drops the title at Wembley or maybe even all out, you know, and that way he can go on this winning streak until the end and then finally put over someone that's worth putting over for that Continental Crown. I would love to see that happen. I don't know. Tonight led me to believe that that's not the direction they're going. I was hoping they were going that direction. Uh, the one thing that did rub me a little bit weirdly tonight, uh, and I'm glad you brought up if there was anything else, the last two, three weeks, we did see a little bit more of a dedication to the women's division. There were a couple seg- they were putting a couple segments on each show. Tonight, we got one segment. I still don't know what, 
with the Stokely Hathaway, Willow, Chris Statlander triangle is all about. Even though I, you know, I, I feel like I watch enough AEW television that I should know, but I don't watch Ring of Honor, which I don't know if you, they feel like you mentioned it. Like, is this this extended universe that I feel like I have to watch? And I know they said that we're going to hear something on Collision in that mad rambling, but there was no type of build on their flagship show for the women's world title match that seemingly over the last three or four weeks, they've done it. I'd say they've done a decent job of promoting this match. And then tonight they, they really didn't mention it at all, except for a couple graphics in the bottom left-hand corner. And it may have gotten mentioned during the rambling at the end, but again, I got so lost that I kind of zoned out. Yeah. And I mean, I know they've got a couple shows to go. Um, I think mm-hmm. based on Excalibur's frenetic, confusing plug, but you know, Tony Storm and Diana Perrazzo didn't, didn't get, um, you know, it's a go home show for a pay-per-view and where we have the Willow, Statlander, Stokely Hathaway thing going on. I, I, I didn't mind, you know, Stokely offering a chain and, and um, Statlander saying mm-hmm. no and Willow saying don't do it and all that. And I, I'm not right. I'm not in any rush for the payoff here. I think it's I think the pace is fine. Um, this, you know, so I mean, I was OK with what they did tonight. But, yeah, I mean, it, when you're trying to sell a pay-per-view, you're and you have a two-hour show and you want everything to have space to breathe i'm fine with not just wedging in women's segments for the sake of it but yeah um you know i guess if i'm gonna i guess if i'm gonna clarify like i had no problem i actually thought that match wasn't bad it it was a fine match and and i'm i'm good with you know even seeing where this goes i'm not one of those that says get this off my tv but if i'm the one like writing the show or booking the show I'm focusing on, you know, this is my flagship show that gets 800 to 950,000 viewers weekly as opposed to collision. I I'm pushing this, you know, the world title angle on my most, most watched show yeah. and I'm putting this on collision, right. you know, yeah. it's just, I just didn't understand yeah. the lack of push for a world title match uh, on your, your, on your highest, you know, watch show. And it was just weird to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, that was the last thing I was going to bring up anyway. Um, is is the women's match and just talk about that a little. So mm-hmm. you you beat me to it, and that's good. Uh, anything else you want to sneak in before we sign off, Tony? Uh, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Um, like I I love coming on these shows with you. If you want to follow me on social media, basically all the regular popular ones that I'm public on is at Tony D'Onofrio at T O N Y D O N O F R I O. Um, basically all the main ones X slash Twitter. Uh, threads. Um, those are the two that most people seem to be on. And like I said, it's um, always a pleasure coming on. Love talking to uh, wrestling with you. And it's good to finally get to talk AEW with you. Yes, it's been a blast. Uh, thank you, Tony. Uh, thanks to uh, everybody who listens and, and our caller and email input on tonight's show. We'll talk to you Friday night after SmackDown. You're invited to join us there. You can always find a link to the live stream in my TV reports at pwtorch.com. And uh, and then I'll VIP members. I'll be by Sunday night covering uh, AEW Revolution uh, free on pwtorch.com, and then uh, doing the uh, the post event roundtable for VIP members. Craig Parks will be live with Wrestling Night in America Sunday night uh, covering the event, so you can uh, listen to the live stream. We'll have a link to that in my TV in my uh, pay per view report Sunday night. <laughs>